Genesis chapter 12. This is just, I guess, something that I've been meditating on in recent days. Going from Paul in, in Philippi way, way back to Abram. Let's start from verse 1. I'll just read the first four verses to get us started. The Lord had said to Abraham, or Abram as he was at that point, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you. I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. So Abram receives the call. And you all know this, the story is familiar. Leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's house, your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. And Abram's response there at the bottom looks good. Verse 4, it all starts out really well. Abram went as the Lord had told him. Uh, leave your country. Check, I've left my country. Leave your people. Check, I've left my people. Leave your father's household. No. <laughs> Immediately we see there's something going on in the call of Abram and Abram's response that shows something about Abram's character that I can see all too clearly in my own character and maybe some of you will relate to it as well. Lot was Abram's nephew. So if you back up to the, the bottom end of chapter 11, verse 27 says this is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. So the long and the short of it is, Lot is part of Abram's father's household. He's part of the descendants of Terah. And Abram was told, leave all of that behind. Now, none of us are being called to leave our families behind, but Abram was told that's what he had to do. And I think we see something in Abram here. I like Abram because Abram is a guy who gets things done. Okay? And this is a wee theme that we'll, we'll run on this morning. Abram's the sort of fella that when he decides this needs done, I'm going to do it, he will get it done. Anybody else like that in the house? Any sort of non-procrastinators who, if they decide it's going to be done and it's going to be done today, it will be done today. Uh, I can be a wee bit like that, uh, sometimes to my detriment and to my exhaustion. Abraham probably had a to-do list. I used to have a to-do list on my desk in school and then it got replaced by a to-do book because <laughs> the list, the single sheet wasn't long enough. So a book sits there and I, I have a list of stuff on it that I need to do. And I get a, you know, dangerous degree of pleasure from taking stuff off the, the to-do book that has been done. And I hate adding new things to it. And as, as the week draws to a close, I'm looking at it thinking, oh, there's new things creeping on and there's not enough being taken off. I like to just take a deep breath dig deep and get the job done. 
I like people with stamina and determination and tenacity and grit who just bull on through and make it happen. If they've said they're going to do it, they do it. But there's a fine, fine line between having that sort of a mindset and finding yourself burning out or finding yourself actually becoming home to a little bit of pride starts to creep. I said I would get it done and I did it. <laughs> pride can, can creep in. And I think Abram's a guy who likes to get the job done and God has told him there's a job that's going to be done. You're going to leave and I'm going to make you into a great nation. Abram's 75 years old, has no children, and he brings Lot with him. <laughs> because Abram's going to help God to get the job done. He has this propensity that you will see throughout his story where he helps God to get it done. You see it later on in chapter, around about chapter 16, where he has a child with Hagar, who is his wife's servant girl. And you see it at other times as well in Abram's story. He's helping God out. Do you ever try to help God out? <laughs> and actually, it's disobedient. It's a lack of faith. This is something that I see in Abram right from the very start. I'd never really noticed it before, but I've written here beside verse 4 in my Bible where it says, Lot went with him. I've written, he shouldn't have. <laughs> he shouldn't have been there. And he became trouble to Abram as, as time went on. Now, one of the things about Abram, if we read verses 6 to 9, uh, or 6 to 7, first of all, was Abram was fond of an altar. Hence the random picture of a pile of stones there with something burning on top of it. Abram traveled throughout or through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared. Now, if you wanted to track Abram, you could follow his altars. Now, I'm one of those rare people who actually likes a cowboy movie. They don't come around very often, but every now and again you get a, a 310 to Yuma, or you get a True Grit, or you get Tombstone. There's about 10 years in between any one of them that are half decent. But I like a cowboy movie, and frequently in a cowboy movie you'll have somebody chasing somebody else, and in order to track where they are, they'll stop at the campfire that's been there the night before, and they'll poke around in the embers to feel how warm they are. And they'll, they'll say, okay, they're, they're half a day's journey ahead of us or something like that. Or if they're particularly fine cowboys, they'll start poking about in the horse manure. And by the texture of the horse manure, they'll say, ah, oh, they were here two days ago because, you know, I'll not elaborate on it. But if you wanted to track Abram, you could follow the altars. He would build altars on his journey. Stop, pitch his tent, build an altar and seek God. An altar is a place of worship, place of sacrifice, a place of devotion, a place where you meet God. And in this very, very simple little message, I want to use the altar as a picture of the place of private devotion, where it's just you and God, or just me and God. So as I speak of altars, you hold that in mind. Don't think of the pile of rocks at Harris Gap up the Morns or wherever. Think about your own quiet place with God. Do you have an altar? 
Could people track you and track the journey of your life and my life via a trail of places of devotion and worship and prayer? And Abram has been obedient to the first thing that God has said, apart from bringing Lot with him. And I wonder in, in Genesis 12, 7 here, is God just given a wee bit of further clarity, right? You've taken the first step. I think God does this with us. You know, we, we, we respond to something that he said, and then a wee bit more light comes. And God says to Abram, to your offspring, not to Lot's, To your offspring, I will give this land. And Abram moves on in verses 8 and 9. He goes in between Bethel on one side of him. That means the house of God. And Ai on the other side, which means a heap of ruins. And Abram's in between these two places, the heap of ruins and the house of God. And he builds another altar and calls on the name of the Lord. This is, I have them marked in my Bible, number one, number two, number three. As you go through Abram's journey, you see these altars. But then there's a famine. And everything gets a lot more difficult. A huge challenge arises in the land and it affects everybody. I don't know whether the famine, you know, how, how widespread it actually was. But as far as Abram was concerned, there was famine everywhere and they could not import food or, or do what we do. If there's a, it's just ridiculous that you can go to the supermarket all year round and pretty much get everything. Every type of fresh food will be there. It'll come from Peru or somewhere, but it'll be there. Abram couldn't do that. There was a famine. There was a shortage of food. There was a huge challenge to life. And I think I've maybe been pulled into thinking about this, obviously because of coronavirus. That something has arisen that has challenged Abram's way of life and the journey that he's on and has put huge pressure onto him. And as we have seen, Abram is a guy who gets things done. He's a guy who rises to the challenge. Famine, no bother. I'll deal with that. I'm going to keep everybody safe. This New Testament hero of faith, or he's he's recorded in the New Testament as a hero of faith. What will he do when the pressure's on, when the famine's closing in? Will he throw himself on God's mercy? Will he build more altars? No, he goes to Egypt because Abram, like me, and maybe like some of you, has that propensity. I'll get this sorted out. (laughs) I'll deal with it. I will take action to help God get the things done that he wants done. And I think he's driven by a sincere heart. I think Abram wants to protect his wife. He wants to protect the people that are traveling with him. But he makes a hasty decision to go to Egypt. It is never really a good plan to go to Egypt in the Bible. Um, There are only a couple occasions where God tells people to go to Egypt. He does it in Genesis with Jacob. Once Joseph has got into Egypt and he's prime minister of Egypt and he's the one controlling the food, God says to Jacob, it's okay, you can go to Egypt, you'll be safe. And in Matthew's gospel, another Joseph, husband of Mary, is told to take Jesus and Mary to Egypt to keep them safe from Herod. Those are the only times that I think people are told, go to Egypt. The rest of the time in the Bible, Egypt is a negative place. In First of all, just so you're, 
you know, God's not keen on Abram going to Egypt. God said to him, go to the land I will show you. He didn't show him Egypt. So as much as I'd like to defend Abram and say, well, he was using common sense and God would bless him for his logical move. No, God did not show him Egypt. A different land was shown to him. Here's a couple of verses just to give you an idea of the negativity surrounding the mindset that goes into Egypt. Egypt is a picture of relying on the world for help, relying on your own strength or the strength of others rather than relying on God. There's a random little section in Deuteronomy 17 where God prescribes some things that the king should do and should not do. And he says the king should not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. You're not to go back that way. Egypt's a negative place. Egypt is your past. Egypt is the way you used to live. You have been set free from that. Don't go back. And it's interesting, if you hold that verse in mind and read the story of Solomon, you'll see Solomon's life starts to go pear-shaped when he goes to Egypt to get horses, interestingly enough. So Egypt's a negative place. And then even more clearly in Isaiah 31, woe to those who go down to Egypt to get help, who rely on horses, trust their chariots, the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. This is what Abram's doing. Have you ever done something and you think this is common sense, this is logic, this is what I should do to help God get to where God wants to be, but you haven't really sought him about that? I've done that, okay? If you haven't done that, fair play to you. But most of us have slipped at some stage into that pattern of, I'm going to sort this out. I'm going to make some decisions and make some moves. And Abram goes into what I would call survival mode. Famine, pressure, people looking to him for help and leadership and food and whatever. And he goes into survival mode. And he starts to think that he needs to get this sorted out. Now, Abram's journey started with altars. But when the pressure came on, it became driven by survival. I started coronavirus... March 2020, at an altar. There was one night, around about mid-March, I remember I walked the dogs late at night and I was wandering about outside the house midnight or after it. Uh, that day or maybe you know, sometime within that few days, Arlene Foster had been on TV and she'd said, if we close the schools, they will be closed until the summertime at least. And I remember thinking, that's crazy because that was mid-March. And it was obvious that whatever this was, was, was a big deal and there was a lot of uncertainty about it. And I actually got a little bottle of oil that Gary Anderson had brought back from a trip to Israel that he bought this little jar of anointing oil from Jerusalem and he'd given it to us. And I went to the front of the house. If anybody had driven past, they would wonder what was going on. I literally got on my knees, I put the oil on the door posts of the house, and I prayed for protection. I started this whole journey of the last 15 months or whatever at an altar, on my knees, seeking God's protection. But I feel that somewhere along the way, survival mode started to kick in. I don't know if this rings true with any of you or whether you're just going to enjoy watching me confessing. But survival mode started to kick in. 
And like, like Abram, I am a man of altars and a man of devotion. But also like Abram, I'm a man who likes to get things done. <laughs> who sees something and says, I'm going to do that. And as, as time went on and survival mode probably kicked in more and more, it was like, I'm going to protect my family and I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to get food. So I went and every, I don't know, but back at the start, you like went to the supermarket about every two or three weeks in stealth mode, maybe at, you know, about two in the morning and you filled the trolley and filled the boot and came back home and didn't leave the house for another two or three weeks. And you delivered a bit of food to your parents so that they didn't have to go out. I'm going to protect and I'm going to provide. I'm going to keep my department going in school. I'm going to support my colleagues really well. I'm going to bust myself and make sure that they get through. I'm going to support my students really well and make sure that they get through. And survival mode is driving everything. I'm going to get this done. And meanwhile, there's an altar that has not been visited as frequently or is with the same intensity that it should be visited. There's an altar that's maybe a few weeds are growing up around the stones. The pace of life slowed down in that you weren't having to go out as much. A lot of activity had obviously ceased, but the pace of mental activity became almost unbearable. To the point that when you come to the altar, you can hardly think straight because you've got so many other things buzzing around you. I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to do that and I have to do that. And I have to get it done because I am Mr. Survival Mode and I'm going to get through this. And your mind sort of revs out. You're, you're sitting, you know, I, I, so many mornings in the past year, I've got up, I've gone to the chair that I sit in every morning with my cup of coffee and my Bible and I've sat down and I'm there. I'm present and I'm benefiting to some extent from the silence of that time and the solitude, the quietness. But my brain is just on overdrive and I'm not focusing on the things that I want to be focusing on in that place at the altar. Survival mode has taken over. You don't need to nod, but I, I'm sure it rings familiar for some of you. And Abram's going to help God in survival mode. First of all, he's going to bring Lot with him. To make sure that he has somebody there to produce descendants for the, for the family in general. And by going down to Egypt to live there for a while. You see, Abram drifted away from that altar of personal, private devotion. Survival mode kicked in. He's lost sight a little bit of the call of God. He's lost sight a little bit of his faith. He's lost sight of that priority of God's presence in the place of personal devotion. And there are a few things that fall out from that for Abram. One, as we've already seen, he seeks help from the world instead of seeking help from God. He goes down to Egypt. He goes to Pharaoh. He goes to, to try and find the resources that he needs from the world rather than trying to find them from God. The second thing he does is there's some uncharacteristic behavior that starts to emerge. And you just, just hold in mind, this is what happens when you start to move away from the altar of private devotion or you're not visiting it as frequently or when you're there, you, it feels like you've got hamsters in your head running on a wheel just constantly flat out. 
He starts to engage in uncharacteristic behavior. He starts to make uncharacteristic decisions. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. That is not the decision-making process of a man who lives at the altar. He is starting to think differently. He's starting to make decisions that are out of character with who he is and with who God is. He is becoming economical with the truth, as they say. You know, you can still deceive people when you're telling the truth. I could tell you one negative thing about a person, and then you could think negatively about that person, but the reality is they are a wonderful person, apart from that one little negative thing that I've decided to tell you. So I could tell you something true in order to deceive you to think wrongly about that person. And Abraham here, it's a sort of a half-truth because there is a blood relation going back between him and Sarah, but he's using it in a deceitful way. And his neglect of the altar is causing him to act in an uncharacteristic manner. I wonder if you have been in survival mode, if you have neglected the altar, could you look back and say, you know, there are things, there are decisions I've made and there are ways that I have acted that are not in keeping with someone who has a pattern of building altars and private devotion. So he, he, he engages in uncharacteristic behavior and decisions and others are affected. Whenever I neglect my personal altar of devotion, then it affects other people around me. It does not just affect me. For Abram, obviously, it affects Sarah. And Pharaoh's officials do take her. And it says in verse 15, and as you read this, you can sort of just gloss over it, she was taken into his palace. That's horrendous. Like, she wasn't taken for afternoon tea. It's just horrendous that this happened and that Abram was so just out of kilter with God that he allowed it to happen. We'll, we'll move on, but it was an unpleasant, that's an unpleasant verse. She was taken into his palace. And it looks like the plan is working because Abram starts to get sheep and cattle and donkeys and servants and camels and Pharaoh is blessing Abram because Pharaoh thinks Abraham is the brother of Sarah and Pharaoh likes Sarah so he gives Abram lots of stuff it looks like it's going to plan he's managed to stay alive he has acquired the resources that he wants all looks like it's going well well done me I have helped God out by making this move and keeping everybody safe but the reality is Abram is pretty alone in Egypt. Sarah is separated from him in Pharaoh's harem. How on earth is God going to get the promise of just a few verses ago to become a reality? In verse 17, you read those famous words that come up in your Bible over and over and over again. But God or but the Lord. We've seen Abram do his thing and now God is going to do his thing. And in, in how God deals with this, he inflicts serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. 
They have mistreated her and God deals with it. But I want you to see here that God is incredibly gracious with Abram. Incredibly gracious and incredibly faithful to Abram, even though Abram has not been faithful to God. So Abram has left the altar. There are no altars in Egypt. Abram doesn't build an altar in Egypt. He's in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, you don't do altars that well. But God is still faithful to unfaithful Abram. God breaks the alliance with Pharaoh. Not read it, you can run your eye over it. But God breaks the alliance that Abram has made with Pharaoh without breaking Abram. God does not come down like a ton of bricks on Abram because of his disobedience and because of his wrong decisions. God breaks that alliance that has been made between Abram and Pharaoh without breaking Abram. Can I just assure you of something regarding God's will? God's will should not be a thing that terrifies Christians. God's will and your decision-making process shouldn't be something that causes you to be fearful. I believe that God is a loving, heavenly Father. And I believe if we step out of what is best for us, like Abraham does, that God as a loving Father who loves us will intervene to get us back to where we should be. That it's not that he just turns his back on us, abandons us, leaves us to wallow in our own bad decisions, but that he will intervene in the circumstances like he does in Pharaoh's house to bring Abram back to where he wants them to be. Do not allow a negative picture of God into your mind. This is grace and this is love and this is faithfulness. And if you're making decisions, I would, I would suggest you pray about those, obviously. I would suggest you take counsel and advice about those from others. But you know what? Don't be terrified. You have a loving Father who will readjust and realign when it's necessary. And that's what he does for Abram to get him back to where he should be. And in, in verse Verses 1 to 2 of chapter 13, he doesn't only break the alliance between Abram and Pharaoh, but he basically says, Abram, get out of Egypt, but you can take their stuff. <laughs> you know? So Abram comes out wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. Abram, you've made a bad move, but I'm going to turn it. I'm going to work it for good. I'll break that alliance. Pharaoh is going to scrub you off the Christmas card list big time. But when you're coming out of Egypt... Bring the stuff that he gave you. Don't leave it behind. So God is so faithful to this man who has made a few bad decisions. And as we finish, I just want you to see where Abram finishes at the start of chapter 13. He, if you read chapter 12 and chapter 13, you will see that in chapter 13, verse 3, Abram retraces his steps. The journey that he followed that brought him to Egypt, he goes back along the same path because he's lost something. And how many of us, when we lose something, we think, right, I had it earlier on when I was outside and you go back and you wander around roughly where you were to see if you can find it. He goes back and he retraces his steps. He goes back to where he had earlier pitched his tent. 
and where he had first built an altar. He gets back to the altar. Out of survival mode, the famine, the pressure, all the things that have come on him and pushed him to make some bad decisions and cause him to move away from that place of personal worship, he retraces his steps because he wants back to that place of personal experience with God. And I love this. And this, I want you to hold this, this idea of getting back to the altar. If you're like me, there's a good chance that the altar maybe has not, it's maybe seen better days, put it that way. Seen better days. Because a lot of you have picked up a lot of extra work, just extra stress, and very easy to, to, to neglect the place of personal devotion. Let this simple little story of Abram inspire you to get back to the place of presence. He doesn't build a new altar at this point. He goes back to one that's already there. To that last place that he met with God. You can visualize it any way you want. It might be a chair in a room in the house. It might be somewhere upstairs. It might be in the garden. It might be when you walk the dog. It might be wherever. But a place where you encounter God. And I believe that, that God just put this on me over this last few days for me to personally meditate on and think over, but also to share with you. There has to be a turning away from survival mode, from that getting things done attitude that can very quickly descend into pride and acting in your own strength and a return to a place of white hot devotion where you are with God just to be with God. And it's the sort of thing I don't think happens overnight. I really, my, my head and my thinking processes this last year, it terrifies me just how much goes on in here in the average day. And to just bring stillness to that and get back to that place of devotion and worship, that's what I feel God is really calling me to and maybe also that you would be encouraged to join in the journey back to the altar as well. Amen. Let me pray as Aaron.